from Acts 3, beginning at verse 1, and we go into a little bit of Acts 4. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to him in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. 
the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. It's a blessing to be able to bring the word of the Lord to you this morning. Uh, Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're gathered here because we love you, Lord. You know where each of us is coming from. You know what each of us has experienced in the past week. Lord Jesus Christ, as we continue to worship you here, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear from you. Help us to center our minds and hearts on you, Lord, to hear from your spirit, God, and to be changed in the process. And we pray, Lord, that you would encourage us as we turn to the text this morning to be people who bear witness to your name, Jesus Christ, for your glory and for our transformation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think we may already be there with the clicker. Probably will need you. (laughs) Oh, go. There we go. All right. It doesn't want to be on that slide. Can you move it back to that slide, please? The Jungle was a book written at the turn of the 20th century, and it, it did not have global acclaim. It's probably only really known in the United States, but what it did had a significant impact. The author of this book, a man named Upton Sinclair, was trying to expose the plight of immigrant workers and the injustices and iniquities that they faced working at uh, this stockyard in Chicago. The stockyard in Chicago was a meat processing plant that processed up to 18 million animals a year. That's like 50,000 animals a day. I mean, it's incredible what they're, what they're pushing through, what they're processing. And he, he was seeing that the, the immigrants there were having trouble. Uh, they, they had really hard lives. And, he, and so he spent seven weeks there interviewing and, and hearing their stories and seeing what life was like for them. And then he wrote a fictional account of it to try to expose their plight. This is, this is from an excerpt from the book. All day long, the blazing midsummer sun beats down upon that square mile of abominations, upon tens of thousands of cattle crowded into pens whose wooden floors stank and steamed with contagion, upon bare, blister, cinder-strewn railroad tracks and huge blocks of dingy meat factories whose passages defied a breath of fresh air to penetrate them. And there were not merely rivers of hot blood and carloads of moist flesh and rendering vats and soap cauldrons and glue factories and fertilizer tanks that smelt like the craters of hell. There were also tons of garbage festering in the sun and the greasy laundry of the workers hung out to dry and dining rooms littered with food and black with flies and toilet rooms that were open sewers. He goes on to an even more flowery language to describe the, the rats and their waste that were found in the, in the meat that was being processed. When the book was published, it it took America by storm. It even reached the the president at the time, Theodore Roosevelt. And Roosevelt said, you know what, we got to investigate this. He wasn't a fan of Sinclair's politics, but he wanted to check and see what is really going on at the stockyard. And he found that Sinclair's testimony was was true, that these were awful, awful conditions. Sinclair would later joke, and he would say, you know, I, 
I aim to capture the nation's heart, but hit their stomach instead. Because his testimony changed U.S. food laws, actually created U.S. food laws based on them. His, his testimony, his eyewitness account for seven weeks at this stockyard changed American food laws forever. And, and that would go on to affect other countries that were influenced by America. That's the power of, of eyewitness testimony. This morning, we're going to hear Peter bear witness, who, who himself claims he is an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And we're going to see how that, bear, that bearing witness, how that testimony transforms lives. And we ourselves are going to be challenged as followers, as disciples of Jesus Christ to bear witness to Jesus. That's the requirement for every one of us. And it will change lives in the process. It will affect for people for generations. As Christ followers, we must bear witness to Jesus. Now, our sermon series so far has been uh, to the ends of the earth. Well, how does the gospel get to the ends of the earth? By people bearing witness to Jesus, right? It, everyday believers. You know, the, the church in Rome started, it wasn't started by Peter or Paul. It started by everyday believers, people who probably came back from the day of Pentecost that we talked about last week or the week before. It's everyday believers spreading the gospel. That's our, that's our role as Christ followers. We heard Natalie speak just three weeks ago the start of the series, and she pointed out that Daniel bears witness to Jesus. 500 years before Jesus came, Daniel has this vision of one like a son of man. And he comes to the Ancient of Days, and he's presented before the Ancient of Days. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion. Whose dominion? This one like a son of man. Who is that? Jesus refers to himself more than 80 times in the Gospels as the Son of Man. Why? Because of this text. His dominion and his kingdom is going to be one that lasts forever. Daniel bore witness to him. We heard from Alex two weeks, two weeks ago about Josephus and Celsus and the Talmud all bearing witness to Jesus. Even Tacitus, Tacitus, who was no friend of Christians. He's a Roman historian. He, he bears witness to Jesus. He says that Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. And the most mischievous superstition, the resurrection of Christ, he believes it to be superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. He hates Christians, yet he can see that they're bearing witness, they're giving testimony about Jesus Christ and about his resurrection from the dead, and, and they're even later to die for that belief, because he's writing this in the early second century. It spreads the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's spreading. How? Because of folks like you and me. Why? Because the Lord is building his kingdom through folks like you and me. Last week, the text said, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And we're going to hear about one of those wonders and signs this morning as we turn to the text, which Biff just read for us. Can you just click forward? We'll just, I'm probably about to give up on this one. It's all good. We're going to see, though, that we, what we need to do, what Daniel has done, what people outside the Bible have done, what Peter is doing here, what we need to do as Christ followers, we must bear witness to Jesus. 
We must bear witness to Jesus. And the first way that we do that is we bear witness to Jesus through a transformed life. When you look at Peter, when you heard that read, that doesn't sound like the same Peter who tried to cut off Malchus, who cut off Malchus's ear, right? The servant of the high priest. And you know when he was drawing that sword and aiming, I don't think he was aiming for the ear. <laughs> Normally people don't aim for ears in battle, right? He missed. That's not the same Peter. This is not the same Peter whom we heard denying Jesus three times. Not the same Peter who, who acted before he thought, right? Oh, let me build a tent for Moses and for Elijah and you, Lord. And the text just says in parentheses, he wasn't, he wasn't thinking. It's okay. No, this is very calculated. This is a, a changed man. John, this isn't the same John who said, you know, uh, should we send down thunder from these guys, Lord? Take down your enemies for you? Or who conspired with his brother? <laughs> hey, mom. <laughs> right? Conspired with his brother to get his mother to get him the best seats in the kingdom. Right? This is not the same John. They've been changed. Look at what Peter says here. I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. Boldness right here. Talk about bold. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Who does that sound like? Get up and walk. I say to you, take up your mat. Get up, take up your mat, and go home. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't he? Sounds like Mark 2, where, where the friends brought the man and dropped him down in front of Jesus. And in that, the, there's something else going on there in that text. It's not just about healing, is it? Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That's the real, that's the real meat of what's going on. We're going to see there's something else going on here, too. Or in John 5, 8, when, when Peter heals the man who's waiting by the pools of the water, waiting for him to be stirred up. When Jesus heals him, he says, get up and walk. Peter sounds just like Jesus. Look at the way Peter handles the crowd afterwards. He doesn't offer him the sword again. He offers him forgiveness. He says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. You know, ignorance is a flaw, right? But to ignore is a choice. He's presenting the gospel before him. We can either, we can either ignore it. That's a choice, right? But you can't be ignorant of it. And he's presenting it to them. They can't be ignorant of it anymore. But he's offering them forgiveness. Who does that sound like? Christ at the cross. Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. He sounds like Jesus. He sounds like the Lord. Look at, look at the way, too, the, the beggar's mindset, right? He thinks, oh, this guy, this guy's coming um, he's in the perfect position, right? He's right outside the temple. And, he, and he's thinking, I'm going to receive some money here. And he fixes attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Right? That's his expectation. And what does Peter do? He meets a deeper need. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. He thought he was going to help him this way. He helps him in, a, in the real way that he needs. If you see in the Gospels, Jesus answers questions that weren't asked, right? Sometimes they ask a question and Jesus just answers the heart of it. He's not playing games. He's going to go right to what they need. That's what Peter's doing here. See, because Peter is bearing witness through a transformed life, through a life that looks like Jesus. But how has that happened? Well, you got to go back to Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What has happened? The Holy Spirit has come on him. To do what? To empower him. Empower him for what? To bear witness. 
Why do we have the Holy Spirit? To empower us to bear witness. And it doesn't happen in the way that he would expect it sometimes. Even at the end of this chapter or the beginning of the next, it's not how he would expect things to go. Right? It's the opposite of what we would expect. I love that in Acts, you have Acts 1.8, you have 1.8, and then you have the opposite of 1.8. You have 8.1. One of them tells you why it's happening. The other one tells you how it's going to happen, how it's happening, right? Why are they witnessing? Because the Holy Spirit has come on and given them power. But it happens in the opposite way, because they're going to go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, aren't they? But Acts 8.1, what sends them that way? And there arose on that day a great persecution, not what they would have expected, against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered. Where? <laughs> Through the regions of Judea and Samaria. It's starting to the ends of the earth, right? Sometimes we bear witness in contexts that we don't expect. There are tensions that we don't expect to have when we bear witness. And yet God continues to glorify his name through us in spite of that. And Peter is being changed. What's causing Peter to change? The Holy Spirit has come upon him. And we see this promise in 2 Corinthians 3.18 describing believers. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image. What same image? The glory of the Lord. From glory to glory. Just as from the Lord the Spirit. Now that's a bit abstract. What does it mean to be trans transformed into the glory of the Lord? Well thankfully Hebrews 1.3 tells us. The glory of the Lord Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his being and upholds all things by the words of his power. Jesus is the glory of the Lord. You and I are being transformed to look like Jesus. Okay, so that's a little less abstract, but what does that mean? Because <laughs> Peter's being transformed, right? And that word transformed, that's the same word we get metamorphosis from. Right, when the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Have you ever seen a butterfly become a caterpillar? It doesn't happen, right? The change is permanent. We're being transformed permanently to look like Jesus Christ. And what does that look like? What are the characteristics of Christ that the Spirit gives us? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We, we see through the Spirit transforming our lives, these characteristics of Jesus Christ come upon us and change us. You know, I'm not, I'm not the most patient guy, but I'm a lot more patient than I was five years ago after walking with Christ for five more years. Or a lot more loving, or a lot more kind. Right? We can, we can see that. There's this slow grade of becoming more like Christ. I love that Karen shared last week about the Zunica family and her word cloud. And she said, <clears throat> look at how many of those words are the fruit of the Spirit. That's the point. This is the point of our lives. This is the point of Christianity, is for us to become like Jesus. We take on his characteristics and to become like Christ, and that's what Peter's doing. He's becoming like Christ. That's how, that's how our life is transformed. That's how we are transformed, to become more like Jesus. The next way we see in the text of how he bears witness to Jesus is he bears witness by acting in the name of Jesus. And as believers, as Christ followers, we must bear witness by acting in the name of Jesus. So we're, we've got first this transformed life, and now we need to live it out. We need to live it out. They're at the temple. They're, he's approaching the temple. You've got the temple compound. 
And then you have Peter and John attempt, uh, approach this beggar who's sitting at the beautiful gate. There's some debate about where that's at. But as, as they approach him, like I said before, he thinks, he thinks it's going to be a payday, right? Because he's sitting in the prime spot. Jewish almsgiving was a big part of the Jewish religion. So he thinks, here it comes. This guy's going to give me some, some money. But Peter says to him, right, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Just like Christ, get up and walk. Boldness with faith, the power of the Holy Spirit moving through him. And it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And, and folks witness it. The guy's life is forever changed. He had been lame since birth. Do you know what the Greek word is for miracle in the New Testament? What it means? It's semeon. It means sign. It means sign. If I showed you this sign, if you saw this sign, what would you think? There's a Woolworths nearby. There's a Woolies, there's a Woolies within some, some close space or proximity to this sign. What's the point of a sign? I mean, this would be really poor advertising if they put a Woolies sign on the front of St. Jude's, right? <laughs> where's, the Woolies, where's the closest Woolies, right? It's pointing to something beyond itself, though, right? That's the point of every sign, is it points beyond itself. This is, that should have been Greek, but I, I failed to have it uh, changed. Anyways, say mayon's the word, it doesn't matter. Sign is what I want you to remember. The, every miracle is a sign. Why is it called a sign? Because it points to something beyond itself. So what is this sign pointing to? That's the question. What's this miracle pointing to? Well, it's pointing to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Tis, tis omnipotent, his omnipotence. It's all-powerful nature. A sign points beyond itself. And we go on in the text, and, and the man gets up, right? That's, that's how you know the signs worked. He gets up and walks. Not only that, he's running, he's leaping, right? He is leaping and praising God. Have you ever, do you ever buy a shoe? Have, have your parents buy you a new pair of shoes as a kid, or maybe you've bought a pair of shoes for a kid? telling you, those new pair of shoes, when you're a child, they make you run faster and jump higher, don't they? And now they have shoes that light up. My goodness, have you ever seen a kid get new shoes that light up? Completely enamored. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't care who can see me. No thought about who's around him. He wants to test out those new shoes. And you'll see, I mean, you'll see kids running all the time doing that, right? And, and, it, and as a child, you really do believe they make you run faster and jump higher. You've got to test it out, Right? That's what's going on, I think, with this lame man here. He doesn't care who's around him. He doesn't care that it's shameful in Jewish culture of the day for, for adult men to run and leap. Are you kidding me? I'm testing out my new legs here, guys. <laughs> He's completely enamored. He's completely focused on that. One of the things I love, the word leap is not a common word in the Bible. In fact, it's, it's used only a couple other times outside of this in the New Testament. It's used to describe another man, lame man who was healed by Paul. But in the Old Testament, the Old Testament says in Isaiah 35 that the lame will leap like a deer. At the and it's describing what's going on at the, at the time of salvation, that the lame will leap like deers. He's leaping around. What's that sign pointing to? If woolly signs point to Woolworths, right? These signs are pointing to the time of salvation. They're pointing to, pointing to the lordship of Jesus Christ. They're pointing to his reign. 
And so he gets up, and, and there's debate about where the beautiful gate was, but it's possible that this is his first time ever entering the, the common temple ground, the proper temple ground, because lame were, were, were forbidden. Crippled people were forbidden from getting into, being able to get into the, the, the greater temple area. So it's possible. It depends. There's debate. Okay? But he enters the temple with him. And what's the crowd's response to this sign? Well, they follow. <laughs> right? They follow. See, he's, he's done this powerful, this powerful sign in the name of Jesus. As Christ followers, we might not be so bold, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit really has to let you know <laughs> that there's going to be some healing going on for us to be able to speak that boldly. For us to take Bridget's arm and say, get up and rise, right? In the name of Jesus. But we still need to act in the name of Jesus. And believe, he can heal. The Lord can choose to heal. The Lord can do a lot of things through us. But we have to be willing to act. We have to be willing to bear witness to him. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's workmanship. Can you go to that, that slide, please? Sorry. Go back. Thank you. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. They're not what save us, but they are what ex- expected us as followers of Jesus, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We need to be doing good works in the name of Jesus. We need to be acting in his name, bearing witness to others in his name through the actions that we, that we do through the way that we live, through, through the power of prayer, knowing that God still has the power to perform miracles today just like he did then. We need to bear witness to Jesus Christ. And so you have the crowd. The crowd is, is gathered, and they've seen this guy running and leaping, <laughs> leaping like a deer all over the place. And what's their response? Well, they follow <laughs> Right? And we know that, that the number swells to 5,000 by the end of this. So there are, there are at least 2,000 people that become believers because they had 3,000 at, at the day of Pentecost. So the crowd's got to be greater than that. When I think of, of massive crowds, I always go back to history of rock and roll, uh, Beatlemania. I just I think of the Beatles every time. I don't know why. But, but this, is, uh, this is the Beatles outside their Southern Cross uh, Hotel balcony in 1964. With, with Exhibition Street completely filled with people, right? It might not be a crowd this massive that's gathered at the temple, but it's large scale. It's a large scale gathering. And they gather together, and they're heading towards Solomon's Colonnade, which is up on the temple proper. Probably Solomon's Porch, Solomon's Portico, depends on your translation, probably in the area that's, that's pointed out there. Because that's, we learn in Acts 5, that's where the, the apostles would gather, that's where believers would gather. And what's the man do? Chapter, verse 11 says, he clings to Peter and John. He clings to him. You can imagine. Maybe he's heard about Jesus, maybe he hasn't. But these guys just heal me in Jesus' name, and I want to know more. Right? He holds fast. He seizes. It's another way for saying it. He seizes Peter and John, grabs them. I'm not letting you go. And Peter, being seized by the, by the formerly lame man, seizes the opportunity to preach and to bear witness to Jesus Christ through Scripture. Through scripture, he bears witness. And we must do the same. We can bear witness through a transformed life. Must. And I, I tell you what, with a transformed life, we have a part of that. It's, divine sovereignty is at work, but there's human responsibility. If you're not becoming more like Jesus, then, then, then we need to look and say, do I have someone hold me accountable? 
Do you have an accountability partner in your life? You're not meant to walk this walk alone. By the grace of God, I have an accountability partner. We meet every two weeks. We talk about our stuff. Do you have someone who knows your stuff, right? And can say, hey, what have you been reading? What have you been praying about? What are you dealing with? How are you seeing God move? You gotta have accountability if you wanna see a transformed life. It's crucial. It's so crucial. It's, I, I submitted my slides and then I dreamt about this on Friday night that I was preaching on accountability and discipleship. I already had submitted the slides, so you're safe. But <laughs> do you have accountability and are you mentoring someone or being mentored by someone? If you want to grow in the Lord to be able to bear witness to him, you've got to have that too. Who are you mentoring? Think about it. Who are you being mentored by? And who, are, who's, who knows your stuff? Those are the questions I want to leave with you. But then we need to bear witness to Jesus through, through a life, through doing actions in his name, and then through scripture. And look at what Peter does. You know, Peter, Peter heals him. What's he heal him in? Not in his own name, right? He, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. You know, we say Christ so often, we think it's, it's part of his name. We might mistake it for part of his name. You know, Peter, I didn't check this with you, sir, but... Uh, I'm guessing your parents didn't name you Vicar Emeritus Peter Adam. That was probably, that was, okay. It turns out I was correct. Or Dave and Sally, Dave, they, your parents probably didn't name you Dr. Dave. They, they didn't, did they? No, no, it's a title. It's not part of your name, right? It's, it's a characteristic of who they are. It says who they are, right? Something about them describes them or maybe what they've done, what they've achieved, but it's not part of their name. Christ is not part of his name, right? His name given at birth is Jesus, right? Because he will save his people from his sins. The Lord saves. Christ, the Hebrew forms Messiah or Mashiach, means the anointed one. It's a, it's a proclamation of who he is and what he has done. He's the fulfillment of all these promises that came from the Old Testament. When they're calling him the Christ, you could just add the word the. It's a proclamation of who Jesus is. It's bearing witness to Jesus by calling him Christ Jesus, because you're saying he's the fulfillment of all these promises that have been handed down. Promises that were given even back to, to Judah in Genesis 49.10. That there'd be a king that would come. And in Psalm 2, there's going to be a king who's going to come and rule the nations. That's about a son of David. But already Peter, by calling him the Christ, is, is bearing witness to who he is. And then he pulls out the big guns. Who are the three most famous people in the Old Testament? If you're going to have your CV written by three references, who would you choose, right? Uh, let's go with Moses, David, and Abraham. How about that, <laughs> right? He says he uses Moses, and he says, actually, can we go to the next one? He, he's describing Christ, and then he goes to Moses, and he says, there we go. 1,400 years before Christ, this is what he says. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, who shall listen to, you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. 1,400 years before Christ, he's saying, there's going to be one that's going to come that's going to be like me. What did Moses do? Moses delivered the people from slavery, to sin, slavery in Egypt, received the old covenant, led them towards the promised land. Jesus, the greater deliverer, delivers God's people from slavery to sin, gives them the new covenant, and leads us towards the promised land, the true promised land, heaven. One like Moses. And then he says, uh, next one, please. 
a thousand years before. He's referenced, he references Samuel. And it's really what I think is, is probably what's going on there is what the, the book of Samuel talks about what Nathan says to David. God tells him, the prophet Nathan, tell him that a king is going to come from you that's going to reign forever. From the line of David, a son of David. 30 times in the Gospels, Jesus is referred to as the son of David. Why? Because of this promise. So, so Peter is, he's saying 1,400 years beforehand, God said it. 1,000 years beforehand, God said it. Let's go bigger. Let's end with a big one. Let's go to Abraham. 2,000 years before Jesus, the father of the nation, right? The greatest, he t- picks out the, the, the great leader and deliverer, Moses, picks out the greatest king, says, I've got a greater king, got a greater deliverer, and the true father of all the people of God, Jesus, he's even greater than Abraham. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And Paul tells us, Galatians 3.16, who's that offspring? It's Jesus. The scripture is bearing witness to Jesus. He's pointing, Moses bears witness to him. Samuel bears witness to him about David. Abraham bears witness to him. What, is he, what are they bearing witness about? And here's the key. Have you ever let your windshield wipers go a little too long? Have you ever had your windshield wipers where, where they just leave? Sorry, windscreen, windscreen wipers. Sorry. American flaw. So you, you let your windscreen. Has anybody here done this or is this just me? Where you realize, man, oh my goodness, I got to change these things. And you don't think about it until the next storm or the next time you need to wipe. It's like, oh no, I need to change them. The text tells us that Christ has blotted out our sins, that he has wiped them away. But I think sometimes the way we live is we think there's still stuff there on the windscreen. He hasn't really wiped everything away. He's still judging me based on my merits. I'm not sure if I have salvation or not. If I asked you, do you know if you're going to heaven and you say, I just hope, I hope I'm doing good enough, you're, you're not in the right category. To bear witness about Christ, we've got to know what he's actually offered us. And that's salvation, not based on our own merit based on what he has done, not what, based on what we're doing. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ has wiped the windscreen clean. That he doesn't see you like this, right? It's so hard to drive like that. I do it way too often. <laughs> right? But he doesn't see you like that. He has cleaned. You have a clean slate with Christ. You've got to believe that. That in Jesus Christ, you have assurance of salvation. And that will empower you and embolden you to bear witness to him. Bear witness to others about him. The scripture bears witness to him. Daniel bears witness to him. Everybody is bearing witness to him. What are we doing? And we got to bear witness to him no matter what the result. Acts 1 through 4. What happens to Peter? He sees 2,000 new believers. Talk about church growth. 67% church growth in one day. Amazing, right? He just healed this guy in the name of Jesus. Mountaintop experience. Does it get better? And how's he end his day? How's he end his night? In custody. In jail. It goes back to that. It's the opposite of what we would expect, right? Acts 1.8 versus Acts 8.1. It's the opposite. He's bearing witness about Christ. And, and no matter what the results, he's called to faithfulness. How about for you and me? No matter what the results, we're called to faithfulness. So as we've seen Daniel bear witness, as we've seen the Talmud and Celsus and Josephus and Tacitus bear witness, as we've seen Peter and Moses and, and Samuel Abraham, bear witness to Jesus Christ. As Christ followers, we've got to do the same. May the Lord give us the strength 
and the ability to submit our will to him, to allow his Holy Spirit to empower us as, they, as the Holy Spirit has empowered Peter here to be his witness to the very ends of the earth. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given us this opportunity. You have entrusted us with this responsibility to bear witness to you, Jesus. Help us, Lord. You know our hearts are willing, Lord. Help us, help us to make it so. Help us to truly see who you are, to truly believe Jesus, and to truly be changed that others might come to know you through us. Thank you, Lord, for equipping us. Thank you, Lord, for empowering us. We pray, Lord, that you would embolden us, that you would be glorified in our lives and that others would come to know your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.